The boss is here. Welcome to another edition of the DMV Sports Roundtable with George, Jamal, Chris, and Dimitri. We have Washington Castle's founder and owner, Mark Ein, with us. Welcome. You're on your way to uh, London, we understand. Good to see you. Great to be here, and uh, yeah, excited to go over to Wimbledon and watch our Castle's players compete in the... The greatest Grand Slam in the world. I'm glad to finally have you on. As we've talked about the DC curse and the Caps finally getting a championship, I have said on many occasions that, you know, people forget that the Castles, for, you know, lack of a better word or knowledge that I have, are probably the most winningest franchise in the DMV in this area. Thank you. We, we've had a, <laughs> I mean, we'll take it you for guys sure. Get, <laughs> you guys don't um, get to do that, you know, <laughs> when we're sitting here and lamenting about the, the Wizards and the Redskins and, and the Nats. But the whole time, I mean, you guys have won five in a row, have yeah. six. So I, I think you guys should get some love, too, since we're, I appreciate we, that. we always cry about not having a winner. We got a winner, you know, right under our noses. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate saying that. I was thrilled for the city and for Ted and the Caps that they won. That was a great thrill for all of us. And I'm really proud of what we've been able to do. You know, winning those championships, no matter which league it's in, is a great thrill for your fans and your community. Um, we've won, I think, three of them on our home court in D.C., which is unbelievable when that happens. And the same sense of excitement you see in the Caps when they do their thing, you know, you felt in the stadium when we did ours. And yeah. so um, it's been a real it's been a real joy to be able to bring that to our city. Hey, you know, it's, we talk about each year and Mark is gracious enough to come on T.O.P. and, you know, we get a little preview of the Castles about and you see the excitement not only starting from the head coach, Murph. But then, and you've told me from day one that a lot of the players you come in contact with or tell your players that somehow they got to get to D.C., they got to play for the Castles because of, A, what you have brought to the city, what Murphy does, and what, you know, just the overall experience of playing here and the fan experience and what you're able to give. I mean, that... You know, that's got to feel so good when you go places and people say, you got to get me to the castles. Come on, I got to play for you. <laughs> it's true. It's, uh, no, there definitely is that dynamic. The Everyone who joins the league, I think, wants to play for us because it's uh, the support we get and that energy in that stadium is so electric. And for tennis fans, they don't get that a lot in their life. You know, yeah. you might play Davis Cup, which is a team competition between countries. That kind of can get like that, but very rarely in someone's career. And normal tennis, while it's exciting, fans are not as engaged for one player or another. But when people come to our stadium, it's really clear that they're engaged and who they're engaged for. And our players love that energy. Um, and they love that experience. It's something they see their their sports brethren and sisters who play in other pro pro sports teams get that, and they don't get it in tennis, and they love it when they get it. I think it says a lot about your organization that you're able to get Serena and Venus, Venus, Venus. and Martina Hingis and yeah. players of that ilk to come and play with you guys during the summer. I, I mean, those are huge. The names don't get any bigger, you know, than Venus and Serena. Yeah, I mean, Venus is playing two nights in D.C. this summer, and you know, Venus is doing great on tour. She finaled Wimbledon last mm-hmm. year. She's doing great, but she's at the point where she's doing what Federer and others do, which is not playing that much. She's taking right. her weeks off taking them off and she really wanted to come to dc not just once but twice so that's awesome on the 25th and 26th of july and 
I think that does speak to how much she loves being part of the team and playing here in front of the DC and the Castles fans. Just sort of a general question I have for you when it comes to the sport of tennis. You hear about athletes being great, whether on the surfaces, like Nadal being great on clay or, or dirt, and then there's yeah. grass courts. What makes somebody better on one surface than another? It's something I've always been curious about. It's such about. a good question. Um, if you don't follow the game closely. So there's a few things. One, players grow up generally on a surface, and they're pretty different. If you've ever hit on a hard court, and then you hit on a red clay court, and then you go to play on grass, there it's really different. The way the ball bounces, the way you move, the way you stop. Um, it's really di- The height of the bounce is super different. So players grow up generally getting used to one, and they learn their game. So in the States, it's mainly hard courts. In Spain... In Europe, it's mainly clay courts, and in England, it's grass courts. So they start their games from an early age for those surfaces. And then again, the difference is big enough that it's hard to make that change. And that's why the Grand Slam in tennis has been so hard to do, because you have to win on all three surfaces. And it takes a really exceptional player to be able to succeed in all of them. But it's all of those things. It's the speed. It's the height of the bounce. A lot of it's the way you move, how how easy it is to stop and start. And you put that all together and those little differences make a huge difference when you're playing other people who have, you know, maybe built their game around that particular surface. Mark, can we turn to Serena Williams a little bit? There are more and more commentators who say, Serena is my favorite athlete, period. We've gone past the point of my favorite male athlete or female. It's just, uh, what do you know about her, perhaps, that you could share that is is not well-known or or a personal experience you had with her? I think she's an infinitely fascinating athlete and, and person. She's an amazing person, and she's become a dear friend over the years, starting when she played for us our first match ever. For the Castles in 2008, she was our star. I can't believe that's that t- t- oh, oh, eight. I know. Like, almost to the day, it. right? Like, Tell right me about the- it. I know. It blows my mind. That's been <laughs> years, 11 years. But oh, Serena's there, and she, she's exceptional. I'm so happy for her. And, you know, she's obviously what she's done on the court is extraordinary. But what she's also done is made herself pretty vulnerable consistently and shared her life story over and over again, whether it's on social media or in documentaries or TV shows. And it's made people really build this attachment to her. That is incredible. And she is not just uh, people's favorite athlete. She's one of people, everyone's favorite celebrities or notable people just because they feel like they've lived this journey with her. And um, I don't know what stories I can share. There's a lot of them. She's, um, she's, first of all, she's, she's totally, totally hilarious. She's really funny. Uh, First time we ever met. I mean, she's, She's just really funny. She's unbelievably, unbelievably smart, um, has incredible intuition about people. And um, and it's just it's great to be her friend. I, I'm excited, you know, to see what she does here the rest of her career, the way she's playing. I think she can play for a long time and win for a long time. Um, and then I think she'll have this whole other incredible life after she's done with tennis. Which she doesn't want to stop that anytime no. soon. I mean, no, she's a, she want, I'm sure she wants to win at least one, if not more, tournaments. Oh, with especially her coming watching. back, right? Yeah, she wants her daughter to watch her win tournaments and that special. And she loves the game. I mean, right. she just loves the game. So, she's. Uh, I think she's pretty motivated to uh, to be out there for a while. And based on what she's doing, I don't see any reason she can't. So you have you, Serena, you have Venus at Wimbledon, and let's. We got to talk about as we're going to go down this roster. Yeah, local star now, Francis Tiafo, who's getting to the third round for the first time ever. Yeah. 
And I mean, he's just becoming a quick. Uh, uh, well, he's always been a local favorite, but now you got you guys have him as well. Yeah. I mean, so I love Francis. I've known Francis since he was like three or four years old. His dad came to work as the the maintenance person at the tennis center in College Park that my mentor in life built. So I've known Francis <laughs> and his family since he was little, and he came to Castles matches. And um, and what's happening is one of the great stories in all of sports. It's great for our region because he loves the DMV. Mm-hmm. He represents the castles and the capitals and the wizards yeah. everywhere he goes. Um, but what he's doing now in the sport is unbelievable. He's 20 years old. He's going to be, depending on this, he'll be top 40 or 50 already. Probably youngest guy at that level. And uh, he won a tournament in February in Florida. He finaled, speaking about different surfaces, he finaled on a clay court tournament in Portugal, which like no American ever does. No American does that. We don't know how to play on that red clay stuff. I mean, since Jim Courier, no one's done that. Right. And no. uh, in France's final that tournament. Um, but you know what? He loves, I've been texting with him every day at Wimbledon. He loves coming and playing in DC and he loves playing in Castle Stadium. The energy he felt there yeah. with the fans and the, the way that people get engaged was a huge highlight of his year last year, and I know he's just, he's thrilled. He's playing the whole first week for us. It'll be our four nights the week of the 16th, and he's thrilled, and we're thrilled, and the fans are too. Um, but it's going to be one of the great stories for all of us to follow in sports over the next coming decades. And, you know, he certainly should be a top 10 player. You know, becoming number one in the world is sort of a little bit, you have to be a freak of nature mentally and physically. Sure. He definitely has <laughs> it in him. Um, it'll be fascinating to see if he can get there. And I think the draw, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't sets up pretty nicely. Really for well. The next match, yeah. he has a really good shot of winning. Um, and then he'd play maybe Djokovic. Djokovic, right? Yeah. But Djokovic hasn't been in his normal form. Yeah. So, but look, you got to play one match at a time. The oh, one thing sure. about tennis is every player is so good. Um, you really just can't take anything for granted. And I know he's not. Um, but I'm I'm so happy for him. He's a great guy. The leader of your team, Murph. Kind yeah. of take the for the fans that don't know. I mean, he's he's a character, yeah. right? He's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did your relationship kind of get started with Murphy? And you got him here so when, from the beginning. Was, yeah. So Murphy's really a sort of legendary tennis guy. He and his brother won the French Open, um, which was a big deal. And they were sort of the original rock and roll tennis. They were they put personality in tennis. They were the Bryan brothers before. For the Bryan brothers, and maybe even a little, and a lot more outrageous. I mean, they rode Harley Davidsons on the court at the U.S. Open <laughs> and played a U.S. Open match, like in USA soccer jerseys during the World Cup that year. So they're um, they're amazing. And Murphy was a pretty big TV star. Uh, had a show on the Tennis Channel. He came to D.C. our first season in '08, and to film the show. And I just watched how people reacted to him, and I just saw kids like follow him, like a pack of kids wherever Murphy went. And literally a light bulb just went off and I was like, I got to get this guy on our team. I got to get him part of this. And we became fast friends. He came to the beach and it was like one of these moments where I looked at him and he looked at me. It sounds like a romantic movie. But, and we kind of both said at the same time, you know, would you, could I be part of the team? And we said, yeah. I mean, he, he saw what we were doing and he thought this is something I want to be part of. I saw what he did and I wanted him part of it. And he's been just you know, really the glue that's held us all together over these years. And for a sport like this, an individual, you know, as we talk about the team sport, players, all of them you talk to, they they love him. I mean, they want they, they want to play for him. They do. They love him. They love his energy. They love his positive attitude. Um, and he really has been the glue. I mean, one of the things about our team, like all teams, is there's a good amount. You know, players come and go. You have a good core group, but he's the one who's held it all together over all those years and all those championships. In terms of team 
tennis as a whole over the last 10, 11 years that you guys have been in existence. What strides have you seen, you know, just as a whole uh, becoming more popular yeah. or, you know, any changes that's been made in, in the evolution of, of the team tennis game? Yeah, so we... Um Team tennis was huge in the 70s and 80s when American tennis was strong. And then we came around the castles in, in, you know, in 08. And I think we really lifted the level. Like we took this and lifted it. And the other teams have really emulated it. So when you look around the league, you see, you know, fans really getting into it, a high production value. Uh, this year, we're going to stream every match. So every match will be available for fans to see online, which is a big innovation. Um, we are actually about to announce a new CEO of the league. So what people see in D.C., whenever people come, they go, this is one of the great sports experiences that I get to see as a fan. And this should be in a lot more places in America. And that's what we feel, too. And so we're going to work hard to grow grow the league across the United States. And for people who don't know, your involvement now with it yeah, is so obviously a little more. League level. Yeah, so I <laughs> bought a piece of the league and I'm chair and... Uh, so uh, yeah, so we're we're driving to to really expand and continue to build the league as well as the castles. There's no rule about the height or the bigness of a tennis player, but are they getting bigger? Is that my imagination? It's <laughs> <laughs> a two. You know, it's one of the great reasons I love tennis is you don't have to be a certain physical type to to do well. In general, as in all sports, athletes are getting big, slightly bigger, um, much better training, much better everything around it. Um, I'd say that, you know, the, the prototypical tennis player probably used to be around 5'11", 6 feet. Now it's probably 6'2", 6'3". And there's a lot of them. That's sort of where Francis is. That's sort mm-hmm. of the perfect balance of height and strength, but still being agile and being able to move. Um, and so, you know, one of the things I think that I love about bringing the castles to our community is people get to get really close to these world-class players. And people don't appreciate I, I truly believe tennis players are the greatest athletes in the world. I know people will have a debate about that. But if you look at a Wimbledon match, a two-week tournament, playing seven, three out of five matches, three-hour mm-hmm. matches, every single point matters. Um, and the mental and physical strength it takes to do that Um and everything you have to do from the hand-eye to speed to everything else, I think they're as good as any athletes in the world. And when you come to our matches, you get to see them up close. And they are physical specimens. I mean, even on TV, you don't really appreciate, you know, Roger Federer, how incredibly fit he is, or, or Rafa, um, and all the players. So um, in tennis, like all sports, uh, the physical conditioning, physical attributes has become increasingly, increasingly an important part of the game. Especially in the temperatures that you have to deal with, you know, you could be yeah, 90 to 100 degrees right. if you're playing in the summertime. To be able to play that long in constant movement, I mean, the conditioning alone, you know, that's it's amazing to me, you it know, is. how they do that. Three hours by yourself on a wow. court. I mean, <laughs> sometimes they go longer. They can go four yeah. or five hours. Yeah, mm-hmm. And literally the thing about tennis people don't appreciate, one sloppy game, especially in men's tennis, one sloppy game and you lose your serve, you lose that set, it's over. So you have to be in it every moment. And you can't you can't go on the sidelines, you can't pass the ball. It's you. Right. That's it. <laughs> can't tag For out. three yeah. straight right. hours, four hours. And so, um, yeah, the physical part of tennis, I think, why isn't as widely appreciated. But when you come see it and you come see our matches, that's one of the things that strikes everyone is, wow, these guys are and women are 
unbelievable athletes. Do you prefer the? I know you know you had the, the first couple of years out, yeah. outdoors, and the Smith Center has been a tremendous experience. I think just the noise. And do you prefer indoors or outdoors? Well, just back to what you were saying, it's nice to have it be perfect weather all the time. Right. Match <laughs> always starts at yeah. seven. Yeah. You know. Um, it, no matter what's happening outside, it's climate controlled. It's nice. Uh, it's really electric in there. Oh, yeah. I think there's pros and cons to both, but we love being in the Smith Center um, for all those reasons. It's just so comfortable and the energy is so uh, intense. So it's been really, it's worked out really well for us. Yeah. Martina Hingis, how did you uh, get her to, to get to join the squad and uh, be such an integral part of the castles? So Martina played against us for a lot of years. And she, we have this quote of hers where she said, I always wanted to secretly be a member of the castles. Uh, she said, I really want to be part of the team. And I never forget when the owner, just like every deal, you know, Lee called me and said, hey, Look, I think I need to do something with Martina for a variety of reasons having to do with his team. And would you be interested? And I was like, Let me uh, think about that. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'd be in your office in five minutes. And uh, and we quickly made that deal happen because she's incredible. And one of the things about team tennis is that doubles matter so much. It's actually three of the five sets. And she's one of the greatest doubles players of all time. She just retired again, but she was number one in the world, won the mixed doubles grand slam with Leander Pays on our team. And uh, so I jumped at the chance to get her, and she was she was awesome. I mean, unfortunately, this summer she's getting married in the middle of our season. <laughs> the nerve she's, of her. She's putting a lot of pressure on me to miss a Castles match to come over. To <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. But uh, but she was she was an amazing part of our team and uh, the consummate professional, um, and just an extraordinary player. Just to watch her mind work and figure out how to win her matches was uh was phenomenal to see you mentioned leander i want to touch on him real quick he was a very integral part of yeah the beginning of your you know up until what just the last year was the first year he didn't play right yeah last year was uh just talk about him and he's a, he's another one who as far as the on the double scene Every time I talked to him in the beginning, just he just was enjoying himself so much and the team aspect yeah. of it. And I guess him being playing doubles uh, outside of team tennis, he already had that kind of mindset, but this was different for him. But how important was he to your guys' success yeah, early I mean, on? Leander was great. The energy he brought. That's why we made him our captain. Right. Uh, I mean, in fact, most team tennis teams don't even have a captain, but we decided that would be the right thing because he was a leader mm -hmm. like that. Um, and it was great. And he was really sad. I saw him last year in Newport, uh, Rhode Island, where there was a tournament during our season. He was he was really moved to miss season. He has been off the tour now for around four or five months, got some things he's dealing with. So he can't play again this year. But, mm -hmm. you know, I hope he comes back and plays for us because our fans love watching him. He was amazing. He was, yeah. But, you know, we have the Bryan brothers this year, so they're coming back, which is awesome. The greatest doubles team of all time. I think they've won like 110 titles. Wow. And have been number one for, I don't know, decades. They're ridiculous. <laughs> and, uh, and they're also amazing in a team environment and something, you know, uh, in, in a you know in an environment like ours, and then we have this woman Naomi Osaka this year who is coming the last night. Who's like a little bit the female version of Frances Tiafo. She's twenty. She's actually eighteen or twenty in the world now. She won Indian Wells, then she beat Serena pretty easily in Miami, and she's amazing. She's um, half Japanese, half Haitian. She's got an amazing <laughs> vibe about her. You know, uh, she got a great personality, and she hits the ball so hard. If you really want to see the future of women's tennis, she is one of the 
people that most people think has the best chance to be number one in the world uh, before too long. She's amazing. This is her first season? First season to ever playing team tennis. And I got to know her. Her hitting partner, her coach, is uh, the, is with Serena. So we're friends. Oh, right. And I talked to him, and I said, you should be. And he loves the castles and loved seeing what it did for Serena. Serena loved playing. And so uh, through him... He convinced her to come do it, and uh, our fans are going to go crazy for us. So she's on the 28th of July. This is going to be a real treat to have Naomi Osaka play for us. Growth of tennis as a whole. We talked about team tennis, yeah. but where do you see the game going? Is it growing in popularity Is you know with the added platforms of yeah. social media, as you yeah. mentioned? Do you see that being a huge help in growing the audience and getting the, the younger crowd to continue to watch and, and yeah. for the game to grow? I love your questions about sort of these are the questions that people always want to know, uh, you know, who maybe aren't immersed in tennis as much. So tennis is fascinating. Globally, it's one of the best sports in the world. The top athletes in the tennis game are the most popular athletes in the world. The highest paid athletes, Roger Federer, I think, is the highest paid male athlete in the world or close to it with LeBron. But I think he's consistently at the top. Serena's up there. So, like, the superstars in tennis are comparable to the superstars and maybe even bigger than the superstars in other sports. Because when people see what they do year in and year out, it's so unbelievable. We were talking about the physical and mental mm -hmm. uh, components of that. Um, and the sport, it's interesting because I'm also on the board of the USTA, so we think about this all the time. We want tennis to grow. Um, and tennis doing okay. It's kind of up a couple percent. What's fascinating is participation in almost all sports is declining. All sports as kids are playing video games and on social mm -hmm. media. And so it's a matter of how you look at it. On one hand, it's better than virtually all the other sports. We would obviously like to see it grow a little bit more, but it is what it is. I love the sport because I know for me and the reason that I did the castles is I played tennis as a kid, and while I didn't become a pro player or anything like that, the lessons I learned playing tennis stuck with me for my whole life. They are things that I, when I'm in business situations or other situations, I draw on those lessons of being by myself on the court, sometimes getting my butt kicked, but not being able to do anything. Like I can't get out, I can't, I can't substitute out. I got to figure it out. And you learn about resilience and discipline and all those things. And so it was a really helpful part of my life. And so I love anything I can do to get kids to play the game more. And then as adults, you can play it your whole life, you know, and it's a great sport for adults to play. So um, there's a lot of great things about it. Globally, it's really strong. Um, on a relative basis, it's good, but I want to make it even bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think team tennis is a big part of it because Hardcore tennis people love coming to our matches because you're watching the best players in the world up close and they're super into the match. But also, less hardcore tennis people come and you can, you know, it's relatable. You know, I'm rooting for Washington to beat New York. Like, mm -hmm. I got that. Right. <laughs> it's, not, it's not, you know, just two players with funny names playing each other that you can't relate to. Um, and so we think team tennis is a big part of also helping to grow the sport uh, in the United States. On the heels of that, as far as growing it, that one of the reasons you guys do those clinics, right? Yeah, so we do every matches. summer. We do a bunch of clinics with kids uh, all over the city and in the inner city, and we bring kids to the stadium. That's a big deal. And our biggest players do that. Venus right. does it, the Bryans, Francis, they'll all do it. So that's a big part of what we do. It's why we give out a thousand, we give out a free tennis racket to any kid. Uh, 12 and under who comes to a match who needs one because um, that's part of it. If you come and you love this, we want you to leave with the racket so you actually can start playing. 
And then after the match, every play, every single player who plays on the that night sits on the court and signs an autograph for every kid 16 wow. and under. Oh, for both teams. For both yeah, teams. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and everyone does it, whether it's Venus or the Bryans or Serena when she plays, sit there and yeah. Every player sits there, and it you have to be under 16, so your parents can't even go with you. So, <laughs> it's so awesome, because you see, especially some of these really little kids who yeah. have to go up to these superstars and say, oh, hi, can I have my, your autograph? Um, so all those things about accessibility and making it you know, accessible and relatable to people is all part of what we try to do in Team Tennis, uh, both to grow the team and the league, but also just to grow the sport. Who do you see as the next faces? Because, of course, Djokovic and Federer, and uh, Nadal, these guys are getting a little older. Yeah. You know, they're not going to play for another, you know, 10, 15 years. Serena looks like she's not slowing down anytime right. soon. Yeah. But Venus may be, you know, on her way out in a couple of years. Yeah. Who do you see as the new faces of, of tennis that people might not know about yet, but when it's time to pass the baton and pass that torch, they'll be the ones to be the face of, of uh, tennis? Francis Tiafo and Naomi Osaka. Okay. That, uh, I, 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 I figured that was, I figured, that was awesome. You guys are good. I, figured, I, figured, I figured he was going to say that. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I appreciate that. Um, Look, I, I I truly believe that Francis and Naomi are two of them. It's why I wanted them here. I mean, I wanted Francis also because he's local and right. everything else. But he is one of those people that people talk about globally. And Naomi, 100% on the women's side. In addition to that, there's now a set of players sort of ages 21 to 25 who are up and coming. There's this guy, um, Alexander Zerevev, who's I think third in the world. And he's a couple years older than yeah. Francis a German kid who's tall. He's unbelievable. He's he's there already. He's a couple years older. And there's a set of what they call the next-gen players who are sort of of that a, in that age range who are starting to win tournaments, yeah. uh, starting to compete. Uh, um, and so you're starting to see that happen. And as Federer and those players sort of over time retire, I think you'll see. And they're exciting and they're interesting kids. They're good people. I think that'll be good. And on the women's side, it's sort of similar. And there's a lot of Americans, you know, Sloane Stevens, who played yes. for us for a while. She played team tennis last year coming off injury, and then she won the U.S. Open and just finaled the French. You know, the thing about tennis is a lot of people tune in only on the finals of the U.S. Open and Wimbledon. Right. So you see the same people over and over again. But there's 128 men and 128 women in the draw, and a lot of them are getting to the final four, final eight, or final 16, uh, you know, they're not there on the final weekend, but the, you're starting to see this next generation prop up a lot. And then in other tournaments, win them. Um, so it's an exciting time for the sport. I know when I was growing up, you know, I came from, as a little kid watching tennis, the years of Connor and McEnroe and Yvonne Lindell and, and those guys, Martina Navratilova. Hey, man, don't forget Sampras now. I'm getting there. <laughs> see, oh, look, I'm, I'm so a long list. Wait, wait. I'm, I'm moving in that direction because after that group, and I left out a few people, then you get into Sampras yeah. and you, you get into Agassi, Agassi. who came along and... and Steffi Groff. Yeah, yeah, and and actually yeah. kind of changed the game and made it more exciting and more you know rock and roll at the time. Michael Chang, who was a favorite of mine, that a lot mm -hmm. of people don't remember, but you know you get all into those names. And when I grew up watching tennis, you had stars. Yeah, you know. So hopefully going forward, and, and Serena and, and has taken it to an entirely different level in terms of of, of tennis superstar, almost yeah. a, a rock star celebrity. But, you know, it's good to hear that even when those torches have passed, there'll still be names in tennis. There are. There are. I mean, one of the things you just mentioned, though, is a lot of Americans. That's what there's right. been a little yeah. bit less of. Um, and everyone wants it. 
It's a global sport, though, now. You know, the kids are playing in countries all over the world. It is a global sport. So we're competing against people from all over the world. And really, to be one of the top, not just one, top five in tennis, there is a little bit of sort of like genetic freaks of physical and mental yeah. attributes that let you do that. And you just don't know. No matter what you do to get kids up there, you don't know the ones that are going to be ultimately there. But... You know, Sloan's now number four in the world, so okay. she's right there. So she's she's there. She could have been number one if she would have done better at Wimbledon. So lost that's exciting. Round, yeah. yeah, she yeah. lost first round, but that's exciting. And then there's a ton of Amer- I mean, there's a ton of American men who are in the top hundred now, rising like Francis, mm-hmm. um, and actually on the women's side too. Um, there's a guy who's local who actually uh, was the coach at AU for a while and ran the tennis center at College Park, Martin Blackman. He's a great guy uh, who now runs the USTA player development, and he's done an awesome job uh, just getting tons and tons of Americans to be in the top 100. And once you do that, you just hope they keep rising, and then eventually you get a number one in the world. So the season. Yeah. Now, you guys have been top. Everybody's gunning for the top. Yes, yeah. everybody wants to play for you, but they also yeah. want to beat you when they play. Yes, they do. So what, what's the outlook this year, not only for you guys, but for the league in general? So for yeah, people that don't so follow it's, it as close. It's, um, you know, we won so much. We won all those years. We won five straight years, two perfect seasons, 34. Uh, and unless, I mean, you were pretty close to it, George, and mm-hmm. you saw how hard it was. I mean, we saved 10 match points during that winning streak. So many matches came down the wire. And just over those years, somehow we won every match. We were in the final six times, and we won six times. Yeah. And a bunch of them came down to the last game, the last points, and we won it every time. It's really close. It's There's a lot. There's actually a ton more parity than there ever has been. There actually always was parity. We just managed to rise above it for a while. All the teams are good. They all have good players. Actually, in the end, it's a little bit less how you do. is a little bit less about the superstars that you have, sure. who's there every day, you know? And uh, we've got a really good group this year. Well, France will be here for the first week, and this guy, Tennis Sangren, who made the quarters of the Australian Open. Um, and then a doubles guy, Robert Lindstedt, who's awesome. He won the Australian Open, has been in the finals of Wimbledon three times, and he's, people are going to love him. Really fiery guy. He and I have been friends a long time. Uh, and then Madison Bringle, who's played for us for three years, is back, and she's great, always at the top of the league. And then actually this woman who's a good friend of hers and doubles partner for Nicole Melichar, who's top 20 in the world there. So we've got a good court group, but... So does everyone else, right. and uh, one of your players' name is Tennis. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I mean, yeah. from, from the time you're born, you're kind of destined to, yeah. to be here. That's, that's At least true. give it a try. Yeah. Right. I mean, like if one of you guys is named Pod or something. <laughs> um, yeah, he is, and uh, so and he's 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 really do he's he's hitting new levels on tour. So it's great. So it's going to be exciting. The matches are always thrilling. Um, and, you know, even those years that we won it all the time, I would have come here before the season and said, I don't know, it's going to be really hard. There's, I don't think we're going to do it. But I'm not, just, I'm not just managing expectations. I just have lived this thing. It's so, right. sure. everything's a razor's edge, and it's just hard to know what's going to happen. And it's so. part of it because it's, the season is so condensed, you're playing every day. Some days you play three out of five days, right? Or, I mean, it's, it's quick. It's well. That's a lot. That's part of it. Is you're playing a basically every night. Yeah. Day. I mean, it's 14 matches in 18 days, so it's grueling, Ooh. super yeah. grueling on the players. But just the nature of the format, too. Every game counts, and and you have singles matters, but doubles matters more. And just the nature of this thing, if you look at it over time, is like everyone ends up averaging 500 as their <laughs> record. Yeah. Like that's just what it was. We had that 
while where we were above. And I look, I think we have a really good chance to do well this year, but it's just there's a ton of parity, which is part of what makes it exciting. The matches are always exciting because of that. Now, you guys have six titles. Over the years, who has been your fiercest rival? Who was your Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> Oh, That's the best was the question. first was the, that uh, the McEnroe Yeah, the New York team. That's what I thought yeah. at first. Yeah. yeah, the New York team. They, they've kind of dropped a bit, but in the beginning it was New York. I'd say Philly has always been there. Philly, Philadelphia Freedoms, which Elton John song <laughs> yeah. was named after. They're, and they're always, they're the ones who most want to beat us, for sure. I mean, they're, and they, boy, they have a stack roster this year. So we'll see. I'm always watching them. And then on the West Coast, San Diego, who won the title two years ago and lost in the finals, um, is really geared up. They they really fired up. So, um, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, there's it's great when you have parity. You know, I, I watch yeah. some of these other sports, and you know, dynasties are also compelling and interesting. But eventually, you get to the point. When you get to Marcus Cousins and you're like, come on, like, I mean, seriously, enough like, enough. right? Enough's enough, right? right? You, you open the door for us from one successful businessman to another. What do you think about what LeBron is doing? A superstar who changes teams every so often instead of kind of remaining with that one brand. Well, that's such a good question. You know, look, I see why he's doing what he's doing. Um, I, he's also trying to position himself for what happens after basketball, right? right? And so going to L.A. and being part of that community and developing those relationships in L.A. where he has a house and is probably where he'll want to live is a smart thing to do. I, I wish more athletes were more strategic about how to position themselves for what comes after. I work with a lot of tennis players where I tell them, don't wait till you're done to figure it out. Do it while you're doing it. Because while you're an athlete and you're playing, people want to meet you. People want to talk to you. You can give them special you know, access to things. And then when you're done, you have these relationships that will take you to the next stage in life. So I understand why people go to Golden State. They're all part of Silicon Valley. They're investing in venture guy. I get that. I get why people, I get why LeBron went there. And he did deliver a championship for his hometown. Mm -hmm. You know, he did do that. He checked that box. And so I understand. I think he's going to have a tough time winning yeah. in L.A. That's why I don't think this is a cha- Eventually, okay, your ultimate gold championships. But like you said, I think this is more of a strategic business yeah. type thing. And he's been doing that for, look at almost right. his entire career. Yeah. Totally. And people look at it just from the, he's bouncing around. He's not loyal from team to team. But if you look at it from a financial standpoint, he's making these short two to three year deals, gets paid big money. Sets himself up to either opt in or out, then sets himself up to have another big deal for another, you know, four or five years or whatever it may be. But as he's gone from Cleveland to Miami, back to Cleveland, you know, and now to the Lakers for what was 154, yeah. something like that? Four for 154. And all these deals that he's stacked up over his career. He set himself up beautifully. Oh, his you know entire, financially. I mean, yeah, grand, you know, the, the way he's grandkids. done it is is probably <laughs> if you're an NBA superstar, you should probably model yeah. after LeBron because for him to be able to move so many different places, but he's set up so much lucrative deals. He didn't never get locked into a long-term deal that at some point he couldn't get out of. Yeah. He always set himself up perfectly. So from that standpoint, you know, hats off to him because that's one of the brightest things I've seen uh, athletes be able to do. And sometimes they don't have the flexibility to do that. You know, sometimes you get locked up and teams don't want to give you that sort of thing. But if you're LeBron, 
you've got that leverage over and if any you're, GM. And if you're in a room with Magic Johnson, he say, "Look, what, here's what I can do for you." I mean, come right. on, that's right. that Magic helps. Became probably <laughs> Magic's probably a billionaire from his business stuff. Right. Oh yeah. After, right. Sure. So I think that's the thing. I think that was driven by both living there and wanting to be part of that community and wanting to have those business relationships. That and I think it's again, I think it's smart. I wish more athletes did that. I mean, on a little, teeny little scale, but that's, you know, one of the reasons Francis really wants to come play here is because he loves his ties here. He Mm -hmm. has a lot of friends, business relationships. He's at the very beginning of his career, but he recognizes the importance of that. Um, So I love it when players are strategic with uh, their careers and setting themselves up for outside their sport. You're a D.C. guy. Capitals finally went in. You're close with Ted. Yeah. Were you in any, any of the games? Yeah, I went to all the ones here, and I really wanted to go to the one in Vegas. I just couldn't because I had to be somewhere else. But I was just so thrilled for Ted. I went when we played the Red Wings in whatever it was, 97 or what, 98. I sat next to Ted behind the visiting team's bench for those games. He was just a fan, and I never forgot that. We've been really close. We do a lot of business together. I remember when I went to his office at AOL, and he said, you want to see the new Caps jerseys? And this is when, remember, we had those blue and gold. Yeah, right, yeah, right. It wasn't even blue. I don't know what that color was. Teal. Teal or whatever. (laughs) That was was really intimidating. And and Ted said, well, I've always liked the color red, and that's the same. And he showed me the first drawings of the jerseys. And I was like, wow, this is such a look. And so... When they did the parade and they were up there and there was the sea of red, I, I sent Ted this picture and I said, remember that meeting in your office where you said, do you like That's red? Awesome. How do you like that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, cool. so I'm thrilled for him and uh, thrilled for our community. It was so exciting. It was great. Anything that we should know so we can let everybody know about this upcoming season that may be different or you want fans to know while we're... Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah. So, I mean, so the season starts on the 16th and we've got four matches that week and then we've got three matches the following week. Francis is here the whole first week, and then Venus is here on the 25th and 26th, and Naomi Osaka comes on the 28th. Um, the Bryans are here on the 19th. So the season comes and goes fast, but tickets, as always, are selling great. Certain sections are sold out or close to sold out. So hopefully people will come out and see it. We've had great support over the years. Uh, people come with their families, their business colleagues. I think people always have a great time, and um, we're really excited. It's it's our favorite time of year here to bring Castles Tennis to our great Washington, D.C. community. I will say, if you have not been to a Castles match, just being up close, and even if you're just a casual tennis fan, it is something to go see. The involvement, the, mm-hmm. the crowd. You can cheer during points, which I, that threw me off the first time <laughs> I did. I mean, they encourage the, the noise yeah. and things like that. I will say, if you have not gone to see it, you have to go see it, especially in the environment. That's, that's on, you? It's on my list. Right. I have not been out, come. but yeah. I will come. make a point, especially this summer, to make it out. Especially being indoors, the noise, I think, is that much that we, we, much. You know, better. we have Wes Johnson from the Caps as our PA yeah, your guy. PA, yeah. And uh, we have Leighton Condell, who's the spirit guy for the Atlanta Hawks. Like, it's... It's a fun, it's not the way people expect tennis, but it's some of the best players in the world. When people, when you see Francis Tiafo serve, and that's the thing about being indoors, right. the court surface is so small compared to when we were outdoors just because that's the space constraint. It's like on top of you, and it amazes yeah. people just to see what these guys and women do. And so. DJ Cool the first year outside playing outside at He's the He's come uh, a bunch of times, yeah, yeah <laughs> halftime show. He's the best. 
But thanks, guys. It's always great to Mark, uh, be you. with thank you. Thank you. And, uh, On top of everything else, you've always been a good friend to WTOP. So generous yes. with your time. We're thankful for that as well. Well, I appreciate you guys. Thank you. And remember, folks, the most winningest franchise in the city. <laughs> remember that. Uh, yeah, perfect. <laughs> Washington Castle's founder and owner, Mark Ein, here in the Glass Enclosed Nerve Center. The DMV Sports Roundtable is on Apple Podcasts, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, and WTOP's mobile app. Just tap listen. For Redskins fans, large and small, all around the world, God help us.